Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Today, the title of my message is Someday When I Grow Up. Someday when I grow up. How many of you are still hoping that you will grow up someday? Um, A lot of hands of 60-year-olds, and I love that. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to grow up. I think a lot of us are caught up in that. Um, There is this thing in our culture that we love to do, this question that we love to ask kids about growing up, especially when they're they're little. We ask them, you know, what do you want to be uh, when you grow up? And uh, how many of you have asked a kid this at some point in your life? How many of you remember being asked this as a kid? Uh, This is sort of a standard question in our culture. What is it that you want to be when you grow up? And uh, especially when you bump into to people that you haven't seen in a long time and they're sort of, sort of trying to make patter with you as a kid. My kids uh, just went on a little trip to visit people in, in our family that they haven't seen for a long time. And again, this question gets brought up and thrown around. And the younger the kid, the more amusing the answer I have found. I remember like the sort of answers my kids had when they were a little bit younger. Um, you know, Tegan specifically, she went through this little stretch of time uh, where she told people she wanted to be a pony uh, when she grew up. And, uh, you know, to which we were just like, okay, okay. Uh, you can't, I don't know if we, you understood the question. You can't transform into another creature. Okay. Uh, but I love the enthusiasm, you know, and no matter how much we try to talk her out of it, she was like, no, no, no. I am going to be a pony when I grow up. Have you seen ponies? They look like they're just living the dream. You know what I mean? Um, and, and yet like, we're like, that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. Um, uh, kids say all sorts of things. And uh, my kids went to the preschool that's here at South Hills and they have this moment when they're graduating like preschool and kindergarten um, where they'll bring the kids up on stage and they'll usually list off like I'm graduating preschool today. And when I grow up, I want to be. And I love just listening to all the different answers because you get things every single year. Like I I want to be a fisherman. I want to be a ninja. I want to be a cotton candy taster. Um, and that, that one actually does sound interesting to me. If you guys know of anybody who's hiring for that. Um, but it's always interesting. I remember, I remember um, one time, not, not here at this church or during that ceremony, but I remember being somewhere and hearing an adult ask this question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the kid just was like, thought for a second and said, happy and nice. And the adult asking said, nope, try again. And I know what they were getting at, right? What they were trying to say in that moment was like, no, 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 that's not the name of a profession. But it just sounded like the adult was telling the kid, like, being happy and nice when you grow up, A, not possible. B, stupid dream. You know what I mean? Uh, I will accept firemen and policemen, maybe nurse, but that is not happy and nice, not on the docket. Um, And... You know, when we ask this question, the thing that I've noticed is that we really are fishing for a certain type of answer. And that answer is the name of a job, which I think says a lot about our American ideology. Like when asked what we want to be, we're expected to answer with a job we want to do. Because that's how the game works, right? That's, that's sort of like what we're expecting to hear. And I think this speaks to our American mindset or our Western mindset that is this idea of like, you are what you do, that your job will, in some aspects, define you. 
And kids, you know, when they sort of figure out how this works, they just pick something that they like and, you know, assume that it's probably, you know, a fun, full-time, well-paying profession. They're just like, what do I want to be? A Mickey Mouse pancake maker. That sounds amazing. I don't know. As adults, right, we, we sort of, we laugh at these things and we scrutinize them because we get that there's more to it than that. We're like, is that even a job, that thing that you want to do, right? Can you make a living at it? Are there certain skills or education that's required that you're going to have to go get? Is this job obtainable, right? Um, is it actually something that you have a shot at going after and getting? Now, I do want you to understand this morning that you are more than what you do, but you do have to do something. And so how do you figure out what that thing is? And I think this is something that we all wrestle with. We all have to answer this question. We all have to sort of figure out what we're going to do with our lives. And I wonder if you've ever met someone who, man, it just seemed like they were doing the perfect thing for them. It just seemed like they, when you watch them do the thing that they were doing or talk about the thing that they do, you're just like, man, you are doing the thing that you're made to do. I'm sure of it. It almost seemed less like a job and more of a calling, almost like they were divinely chosen to do that thing. Because there are examples of this inside of Scripture, right? Um, there are these examples of God handpicking people to do certain things. There's the story of, of Moses and the burning bush. He's like out in the wilderness and this bush catches on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And a voice speaks to him and tells him exactly what he wants him to go and do in that moment. Right, we have this story uh, that we tell every Christmas of the Virgin Mary and an angel comes to her and says, you are going to have a child and like really your big task in life is gonna be to raise this kid well so that he can enter into his ministry and, and change the world, save the world. There's this example of Paul, who's like the, uh, uh, the apostle, who's one of the first pastors and wrote or was credited to having written most of the New Testament. And he's on his way on this road and this bright light hits him from out of the sky and a voice tells him exactly like what he's to do uh, with his life. Like, I, I think about these stories and I just think like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't life be so much easier if one of these things happened to you? Imagine all of the existential crises and anxiety that we experience about our work that this would just eliminate. Because if somebody was just like, are you sure that you've made the right decision? You're like, I am absolutely sure. Because God told me himself, face to face, during a miracle to take this job. So I'm all set, okay? I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But a lot of us, don't have this story. In fact, that's what makes these stories so interesting is that they are really rare. I think a lot of us, we feel like when it comes to our work, like we're just sort of guessing. We're like, I don't know. Maybe I'll try this. Is this a thing? Should I do? Is this going to work? And that can feel scary because it brings up all of these questions inside of us that can cause a lot of fear. Like, you know, what if, what if I waste my life? my one life, my one shot? Like, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I go all in to do this or be this? And like, it turns out that that's not great, that that's not a good fit, that that's not really who I'm designed to be. Like, what if I don't live up to my potential? 
That's like the scariest thing we can think of in American culture because like that's the pressure that is put on us that we have infinite potential and we have to live up to it at all cost. How many times have you heard stuff just like you can do anything, anything at all? You can, you, you, you can change the world. If you can dream it, you can do it. So I gotta write these down and get a t-shirt made. With enough hard work and determination, you can do anything that you set your mind to. Just believe in yourself. The only thing holding you back is you. So whatever you do, just, just believe in yourself and be positive and don't give up. And I think a lot of these things are sort of misleading. You ever come across somebody in a particular job and you thought to yourself, you really should give up. I mean, not on life, but just on this job. You're not great at it. It's not good. You know what I mean? It's just, just it doesn't, like, I'm not trying to be mean, but it just doesn't feel like a fit, you know? Um, in fact, we all took a vote and we just, we, you need to go and do something else, right? Like there's a, like a mechanic who fixes one thing on your car and somehow breaks three other things in the process. You're like, you're supposed to change the oil. How come the brakes don't work anymore? And if that happens more than once, that person is trying to kill you, by the way. That, they're cutting the brake lines on purpose. Your tone deaf cousin who's convinced that she's called to be a worship leader. You're just like, I don't, maybe with the mic off, I don't know. Where's this call coming from? Hell, because that's, I'm just asking the question, right? Your, your, your drug addict friend who's convinced that God has called him to be a pharmacist, you're like, I don't know. That feels like a lot of temptation. Why would God, have you, have you like, you know, sent this through your parole officer? Because I just feel like, like she might have some thoughts. Because in reality, God doesn't just speak to us through interests and passions. He speaks through mentors and giftings and boundaries and opportunities. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, have dreams or chase after your dreams. But in reality, if your fulfillment in life is dependent on getting a certain job or outcome from that job, then, then if you can't get it or you eventually lose it, you'll incorrectly convince yourself you're a failure. And a lot of people live in that space. We all know people who are not happy right now. They're just slogging along, but they're convinced that one day they, they, they will be happy and they can be happy if they can just get that job, if they could just get that title, if they could just get that promotion, if they could just get that pay raise. We also probably all know people who had this job, this, they got this job that they, they always wanted. And it was great. I mean, it wasn't maybe the, the, the pinnacle experience they had built it up to be, but then later they were downsized or they just retired and now they just feel completely aimless. And I, I love it when people go after their dreams and I think you should, the bigger, the better. But I would tell you, it's one thing to pursue an improbable dream and it's another to stack your self-worth on achieving it. It's one thing to say like, man, I, I wanna go after this and what if, and I'm gonna throw all of my effort and energy in this direction and just see what could be. And it's another thing to say like, man, you know, I won't be happy or content or respectable until I get there, until I achieve this, until I accomplish this. It's a trap. I've also discovered that, you know, it takes a long time to pursue uh, most passion projects, like months, years, decades, even lifetimes. 
And that is a long time to suspend your self-worth or to live aimlessly or unfulfilled until you get to that place. So what are you supposed to do in the meantime? And how do you find you know, meaning and joy in whatever it is you're doing right now? And how does all this stuff work? These are really important questions that I, I, I sort of wish I would have thought of the answers to before now. But let's just close in prayer. Um, this is what I want to talk about today. And I, I think where a lot of this angst stems from is that I, I do think a lot of us think like, I have to do something exceptional to prove that I'm lovable. In a society that really values and promotes work and achievement above all else, we can be led to believe that we are nothing and no one until we do something great. And man, once you internalize this, it is it's really hard to break free from. But I gotta tell you, this is not a God idea. This comes from somewhere else. Did you know that before Jesus stepped into his ministry and became a revered rabbi who traveled and taught and performed miracles, he spent 30 years of his life, right? Uh, the better part of three decades as a day worker. We often say he's a, he's a carpenter, but it's more likely that he was like a stone worker or a day laborer, like somebody that you literally hired on for projects that you were trying to do. And like, this is what Jesus invested in before his story really comes online in the biggest way. You could argue that he hadn't really done anything noteworthy work-wise up until the point of his, his baptism. And yet there's this incredible moment during his baptism that I, I, like, I think says a lot about how God sees you and I. In Matthew chapter three, verse 16 it says this, that, that after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I want you to think about this for a minute. Like what this is saying is that the love and acceptance and connection and joy that most of us you know, try earning through all of our hard work and achievement, that all of these things God freely and unconditionally gives to Jesus before he does anything of notoriety. And it's after God gives him all of this that Jesus then starts his ministry, that he then gets to work and does his most impressive work. That, that Jesus actually embraces and is granted by God everything that most of us work for before he does any work at all, at least his life's work. And I can't help but wonder, like, how different would your work feel if you worked from acceptance and approval instead of working for acceptance and approval? Because I think it was transformative for Jesus. In, in, in the almost three decades that Jesus worked as a, as a day laborer, I just, I can't imagine that he was super passionate about that job. I also can't imagine him phoning it in and not giving his best. Like talk about really undercutting your potential. Three decades of day labor? 
Jesus, you are the creator and sustainer of the universe. What did you do today to make money for your family? I, I built a fence for my neighbor, Irene. That is what I did. Isn't that a weird thought to have? But at the same time, I can't really imagine Jesus like, you know, doing the work and being angry and annoyed about it. Can you picture Jesus just being like, this is so stupid. I hate this dumb job. I shouldn't have to do this, okay? Do you know who I am? I would just imagine if he, his bosses were anything like mine, they'd be like, yeah, I know who you are. You're the guy who needs to finish building that fence if you want to see any of these shekels at the end of the day. Tell my dad you said that. And not Joseph either, my biological father, okay? You're gonna be in trouble. I don't think Jesus felt less than for doing low-level work. I imagine that he worked just as hard building as he did teaching. Because I think he saw both things as significant and sacred. In fact, I think that this is uh, where this, this verse comes from that is penned in the New Testament by one of the first Jesus followers. Colossians chapter three, verse 17 says this. It says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. In other words, at a very broad level, God is telling you through this passage that what, you, what you're doing is always about something more than just what you're doing. And that means the way you do it matters because work is an act of worship and God deserves your best. Even if the job you're doing is not your favorite thing. It's not something you're really passionate about that you love every minute of, that's really high profile and high paying. A lot of us really didn't grow up with this sort of a worldview when it comes to the sacredness and significance of work. I love this quote by uh, Dorothy Sayers on this idea. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk, and disorderly in his leisurely hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Let me ask you something. Do you view doing your best at your job as a requirement of your relationship with God? Have you ever even thought about that before? Because serving God isn't limited to praying and going to church and tithing, although these are important things. We serve God when we serve others by doing our work well. In fact, devoting yourself to your craft may be one of the most profoundly spiritual things you do. Like, say for instance that you are on a plane and it hits a rough patch. Any of you like me, you freak out. Like any turbulence and you're like, we're all gonna die. That's it, this is how I go. And let's say you're on a plane and it hits a rough patch and everyone's freaking out and you're afraid that you're gonna crash. Now it would be great 
if you had a pilot that loves Jesus and read his Bible devotional app that day, but you're also probably hoping, maybe even more so, that he paid attention in flight school and that he has showed up ready to do his best work today because you want him to land the plane so you don't die. And here's what I want you to understand. When you're anxiously praying during turbulence, that person's devotion to their job in many ways is God's answer to your prayer. Which means that when you give your best to your job, in many ways, in more ways than maybe you could even comprehend or understand, you doing well at the work you do unto God in love for him and other people is the answer to somebody else's prayer. No matter how small and insignificant it may seem in the moment. And maybe you're thinking like, I mean, that makes sense when you're talking about you know, pilots or surgeons, that's like big deal stuff. You don't accidentally become these things. They're, they're hard to get jobs. They're high end. But what about your like, you know, your Taco Bell drive-through workers? Okay, what about your, your Walmart restroom custodians? Okay, what about these sorts of things? And here's where I find something the Apostle Paul wrote about who we are and, and the work we're designed to do really helpful. In this letter that he writes, Uh, called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He starts off by saying this, you are God's masterpiece. Now, doesn't it sound sort of similar to the idea that that God is getting at when he speaks to Jesus during his baptism? In this moment, he's he's voicing acceptance, affection, connection up front. And the thing that I want you to understand is that God is proud of you, not because of the work you do for him, but because of the work he's already done for you. Like you are his, God made you and he loves you. And that's enough. That's enough to swell his heart with love, acceptance, and pride. Because ultimately, contrary to what our culture tells us, you were created to be someone, not just do something. And that someone you are created to be is a child of God, is someone who has a real in-depth connection with their creator. Paul goes on to write that God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, this passage is about calling. Um, To be called is to be chosen for or to be invited into something. And the question is, what is it that we're being invited into? Because when a lot of us think of calling, our impulse is to think that we're being invited into a particular job or a paid profession. But if you look at this passage and all these passages about um, this idea of calling or vocation, there's nothing here about a paycheck. All this is saying is that we are invited to do good on behalf of God. Because in reality, your most profound work may not be on the job. And your purpose may have nothing to do with your paycheck. In fact, if you assume that you have to get paid to fulfill your purpose, you may miss out on the most profound parts of your calling. In fact, a lot of biblical characters' greatest contributions to the kingdom of God had little to do with how they earned a living. 
you look at just some like heroes of the faith, like some of these main characters in biblical history, David was a shepherd, right? And then he later becomes a warrior and a king. We really know him as a poet, right? He wrote these like beautiful things, like all throughout his life, he, he wrote these connection points with God that were like, oh, I see myself in that. I can connect to and through that. Paul was a, a tent maker, this is how he made a living and supported himself. We know him as a church planner and a pastor and an evangelist. Like a lot of us would be like, I thought he was a writer. I mean, he was. That's not really how he made a living. Luke, who was one of the Jesus' disciples, was a physician. But we know him as a gospel writer, someone whose attention to detail and ability to connect the dots between things give us unique insight into who Jesus was. Aren't you glad these people didn't say like, sorry, God, I mean, I'm not gonna be able to do that unless you are gonna pay me. I'm gonna need to get paid. I need to see those dollar, dollar bills, okay? Because if that was the case, we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have what we have. You also look at the oppression from scripture that these people didn't care about their sheep or made bad tents or, you know, half-heartedly treated their patients because they're like, this is just my day gig. <laughs> I got other stuff brewing. <laughs> this doesn't really matter. Because they saw it as an act of worship. It was worthy of their best effort. We titled this series, I, I Need a Vocation. And some of you just thought we spelt the word vacation wrong on all of the pieces and we need to invest in spell check. But it's intentional. And it's a word that comes from the Latin um, vocatio, which means calling or more accurately, voice. In other words, a vocation is not about finding a job. It's about finding your voice. It's about discovering who you are, how you were made, and the uniqueness that you bring to partnering with God to further cultivate creation alongside him. Paul wrote uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, that in his grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Now, notice it doesn't say like, in his grace, God handpicked us for specific jobs with solid paychecks that will undoubtedly render certain results that will make everyone admire us. No. It's what we want it to say. That's like the American gospel. But what he's saying here is that God gifted you with your own special kind of genius, press into him and find your voice and then bring that voice to everything that you do. I think it's helpful to think of a vocation as less a job that you're destined to do and more a group of gifts that you are designed to utilize. Some career coaches call these things core competencies. I sat with a, uh, a counselor coach several years ago and, and uh, went through a life plan process. It took several days and there's a lot of pre-work. And as part of it, he took me through a series of exercises to help me identify, like, what are my core competencies? Uh, three things, three, three things that um, specifically um, gifts that God has given me that make me 
me. And, and what I've realized over the years is that when I, when I do work that leverages these traits, that I feel deeply fulfilled and purposeful and like my life is meaningful and like I, I tap into flow states and I enjoy what I do and I see the transcendence beyond it because I'm using my voice. And I'll just give you th- these things, not to like brag on me about like, this is what I'm good at, but just so you have like categories, right? So you understand what we're talking about because I, I realize that this is sort of like ethereal and conceptual. Um, the three things that I, I, I sort of came to and realized like these are my core competencies is making the, the complex accessible, taking really complicated concepts and bringing them down and explaining them on a level where people who have never considered it before are like, oh, I, feel, I think I get it. The, the second core competency that we identified is that uh, arranging things attractively, like whether it is a room or content or design work or whatever that thing is, like it's just something that I naturally do. And the third thing is helping people understand themselves being able to help people look inside themselves and begin to process like who they are and why they do the things they do and have aha moments about the kind of person that they want to be. These are the sort of aha moments that I had and I had to work to develop these things and still do, but they're God-given. And, you know, if you know me very well or you know like, like how I work and what I do. This is what I do here because this is who I am. In other words, and this may come as a shock to you, I don't know that I am called specifically to be a pastor. I am called to use these gifts from God to help humanity thrive and flourish. And in this season, this is the place and, and the avenue that I believe that I'm supposed to do that. But I could, I could do these three things in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different places, in a lot of different jobs. And I have. Like when I worked in a grocery store, I was always trying to figure out like how to make the complex accessible. I'm like, do we really need all those words on the sign? Can't we like, like move it down to something a little bit more clear? I was like, we could arrange this display more attractively, Right? It was me trying to like help people understand like why they're making the decisions, whether it was management or just people I worked alongside of. I couldn't help it. It was who I am. When I worked as a freelance designer and filmmaker for a good stretch of time, like I leveraged these things in that environment. When I worked as a waiter at a Mexican restaurant, some of you are like, I saw that for you. I definitely, I was still able to leverage this to bring this to the table and what I was doing. But that's me. This is the question. Who are you? Like, what has God graced you with? What is it that he's inviting you to bring with you everywhere you go? Because here's the ultimate question. What if instead of needing to find the right job to give you purpose, you could bring purpose to any job you ever do? because you know who you are and you know whose you are. You understand that everything that you do is in service of your creator, that you can bring your whole self to it and serve him and others well inside of it. And maybe this sounds like interesting and inspiring to you right now, but you're like, I don't know. 
The rest of the world doesn't think like this. And tomorrow I'm gonna go back to work and it's gonna be really hard to remember that you said this and that this is what matters because you don't know what my schedule looks like tomorrow. And, and I get that. And if that's a thought for you, I wanna give you a, a mantra, something that you can prayerfully like write down, take a picture of something that you can prayerfully repeat to yourself until it sticks. Just sort of combining the truths from this message together. And here's what it is. God loves me unconditionally. I don't have to achieve to earn acceptance. God graced me with a unique set of gifts that I can apply anywhere, anytime to almost any task giving my best to whatever work is in front of me is a sacred act of worship. I wonder if you began to repeat this to yourself, if you began to pray this, if you began to allow this truth, this reality to worm its way into your soul, I wonder how it would change what you do and the way you do it and how you feel about doing it. I think it has the power to transform everything. I think it has the power to change the way you work. When you realize that God's love for you and acceptance of you and joy in simply knowing you, it doesn't come from your work. It comes from his work. And this is part of the reason why we gather to remind ourselves that we are forgiven, that we are embraced and loved by God that like our fate is settled when we trust in Jesus because it depends on his work, not ours. And this brings me to how I, I sort of want to close the message today. Um, I, I want to conclude by taking communion together. Um, on each of your chairs, there should be a little um, sort of to-go container, I guess, of communion. Ronnie, can you throw me one of those so I can uh, do this with you? Thank you. And I want to take communion together today. Uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. Uh, we just ask that you be someone who, who believes in Jesus, who trusts in God, and has placed Christ at the center of your story. Part of the reason why we, we echo these elements again and again and again is because they reset us. They remind us that no amount of work that we can do can fix us. We get to contribute to what God is doing on the earth overall, and that is a privilege, which means whatever we do has significance. But ultimately, we're not earning God's love and acceptance through our work. And that's what these symbols represent. If you take the, um, the bread, it represents the body of Christ which is, was broken on our behalf. Um, his body was broken and he was sacrificed for our sins, for all the wrong that we've done to bring us back in right relationship with him, with ourselves and with others. It's through his brokenness that we are made whole. It's through his work, through crucifixion and resurrection that we're put back together, not all the hustling we do on the side. Would you take this element with me? The juice. Anybody else paranoid that when you take this off, you're going to spill it all over you? I, I paranoid every time. 
This represents the blood of Christ Jesus who laid his life down and sacrificed himself for all of humanity. He did the dirtiest job that could ever be done in order to serve every person who has ever been and will ever be, to put things right again. He shed his blood um, and sacrificed and gave himself and did work on the cross so that you don't have to work and strive and try and achieve reconnection with God through something that you do, that you can just give your work as a gift to God because the work of your salvation is already done when you trust in him. Would you drink this juice with me? Let's pray together. God, I am so grateful for the life that you have given us, for the love and acceptance that you grant us simply because we are yours. You made us. And God, you could have just given us breath and life, but you go beyond that. You make us into specific sorts of people. You grant us unique gifts and abilities. You imprint a part of your creativity onto us. And then you call us to channel those things into making the world a better place, to partnering with you to cultivate creation into something more and better, to help all of humanity thrive and flourish. God, we change the world every day when we do small, seemingly non-world changing things. And it's not just an act of love to the people around us. Everything we devote ourselves to and do as well as we can gives glory and honor to you. It's an act of worship. God, I pray that as we leave this week, we would feel settled in our acceptance. God, that we would stop striving and pressing and pushing and hustling to try and earn some sort of lovability, knowing that God, you love us more than we could ever imagine simply because we are yours. And God, out of that acceptance, God, may we engage in our day-to-day work. May we see beyond the task itself to the fact that it is our way of loving you and honoring you and investing in the lives of other people. God, make us competent. Make us good at what we do. Let us give ourselves over to it as a gift to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.